We made this. You're listening to Free With This Month's Issue. As always, please support the bands and artists featured in each episode by buying their records and going to their gigs. Each episode will be adding all available tracks to our ongoing Spotify playlist, which you can find on WeDidPodcast.com. You can also find our other episodes and podcasts there. If you want to agree with us or more likely argue with us or even appear in a future episode, you can find us on Twitter at This Month's Issue and Facebook at Free With This Month's Issue. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, then let people know. Like, subscribe, review it on iTunes, tattoo it on your forehead, etc. Right, let's get on with it then. Welcome to Free With This Month's Issue, the podcast where we talk about free magazine CDs that may or may not have come out monthly. (laughs) Sometimes they did. With me, as always, also I'm Ian. Uh, (laughs) With me, as always, is Colin. Hello. (laughs) He's shorter, uh, but sounds surprisingly similar to me, according to people that have spoken to me about this. We're from the same town. Yeah, I I don't (laughs) think I sound like you at all, but... No. Many people do. People from outside of Tamworth possibly do. Yeah, basically. <laughs> those those people. The outsiders. Anyway, we, we have someone, an outsider, with us today, do we not, Colin? We, we do. They're allowed to speak to us these days. We've got Peter Lewis with us, who makes electronic pop under the name Polaric, uh, yes. and is also one of the hosts of the Pop Gaze of a Certain Age podcast. That's right, yes. How are you Sorry, doing, Peter? I'm great. How are you guys? We're good. Uh, yeah, all right. Looking forward to this. Uh, what? What? Uh, it's it's not a CD. It's a tape. What tape have you brought along for us to talk about tonight? Okay, so this is, I believe it's called the Smash It's Poll Winners Party 1996. Oh, came free me. with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was waiting for that reaction. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was uh, it, it was it was a cover tape that came free with Smash Hits back it in was. 1996. I've been wanting to do a Smash Hits one since we started, uh, so I'm really looking forward to this. It I is, have been dreading doing a Smash Hits one since we started this. <laughs> totally outside of our comfort zone. Um, this is going to be a lot of fun. So, Peter, what's your history with music magazines? I used to read Smash Hits back in the day, back when I was sort of 11, 12, 13 years old. It yeah. was my kind of go-to pop music bible. I was quite into pop music at the time. Yeah. Um, I moved on to NME for a bit when I got a bit older. <laughs> um, as, as my music tastes changed, some would say matured, some, you know, would say changed and I became a... Diversified. Um, yeah, yeah, and I became a, a bit of a sort of glum teenager who decided that listening to, you know, music with real instruments and stuff was definitely much much more authentic. <laughs> and went the other way as well, went through a phase of, this, of uh, reading, like, Ministry Magazine and Mix Mag and stuff like that. Because I've, yes. I've, actually always, I've actually always liked dance music and like, in its yeah. various shades as well. So, so lots of variety there in terms of my history, but... Cool. Uh, yeah, was just returned to... I, I, nowadays, I tend to return to pop and dance-based music. I've kind of come back yeah. to my roots again. Awesome. So, yeah, th- this uh, cassette came out in uh, December 1996. Mm-hmm. So, music news at the time, Max Cavalera left Sepultura when the rest of the band declined to renew his wife's was a sad day. Management contract, it was. Uh, the Sex Pistols end their Filthy Lucre reunion tour in Chile, and Mike Joyce, the former drummer of the Smiths, was awarded £1 million in missing royalties and damages from Morrissey and Marr. Albums released that month, Biss with the Teen Sea Power EP, Bloodhound Gang, One Fierce Beer Coaster, Smashing Pumpkins, The Aeroplane Flies High Box Set, Cradle of Filth, Dusk and Her Embrace, 
Bush Razorblade suitcase, Prince Emancipation, and the Space Jam soundtrack. I had one of those at the time. Was it the Space Jam soundtrack? Yes, obviously. Was <laughs> it? No. Cradle of Filth. Do you not believe you could fly? <laughs> I do. I both believe I could fly and also touch this guy. Wait, no, that's not the lyric, is it? <laughs> Close enough. It'll do. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you like doing? <laughs> On tour that month, Typo Negative, Placebo, Tina Turner, Suede, The Pretenders, Beck, The Cure, Sting and Travis... The UK number one single was Peter Andre and I Feel You, which I don't remember at all. And no. uh, the UK number one album was Spice by the Spice Girls for fucking ages. That was a <laughs> uh, concept album about Dune, right? It was, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all uh, basically sang about the, the different Spice families um, and Atreides and that kind of stuff. Many of the videos featured them in still suits. Yes. Sandworms. Yes. Almost certainly. Is it, uh, I'm now running out of my Dune knowledge because I've not read the book yet. <laughs> same, <laughs> and I, same. I don't, I don't want to watch it. the films until I've read the book, so uh, that's the end of my Dune knowledge. Yep. Um, <laughs> Let's leave it at that. So in the magazine, I know what was on the cover. There were two different ones, one with the Spice Girls and one with Boyzone, but mm-hmm. I didn't manage to get hold of a copy because there's only one on eBay, and despite having a Make Offer button on there, the dude was not taking anything less than 20 quid, so... What the fuck? 20 quid for a magazine. Yes, exactly. So, the main thing was the Smash It's Poll Winners Party. So it was their reader's poll, and it had all the results from that in there. Most of the other years, the televised Poll Winners Party is on YouTube. There's a few clips from 1996, but not much there. Mm. We know that it was presented by Anton Deck and Lily Savage, and I've got the list of all of the winners here. Best group was Spice Girls, best international group, Boyzone, Best male singer, Peter Andre. Best female singer, Louise Redknapp, or just Louise at that point, or Louise Nerding. Best dance and soul act, Eternal. Best rock outfit, Bon Jovi. Best indie type band, Oasis. No. Uh, our I prize. Mean, <laughs> Boyzone as an international act. Come They're on. Irish. They're from Ireland. But, yes. But yeah, fucking it, it, hell. It, it struck me when you said that as well. I thought, I thought we have to... I, I hadn't realised that boys then were classed as international because they, they were from Ireland. They yeah. are, they're from the Republic of Ireland, so they would be... If they'd have claimed that they were the best British group, uh, oh, there would people. have been horrendous political uh, consequences. Uh, <laughs> and plus, what would all the Spice Girls fans have done? Exactly. Mm. And there were probably right. more of the Spice Girls fans. That was it. I think that was their way of squeezing both of them in. Like, yeah. Oh, technicality, get in it, there. It, other years, it's like Backstreet Boys. It's normally an American act that wins that one. Yeah. If not Boyzone. Or Westlife later on. Our Price sponsored best single, Words, by Boyzone. Our Price best album cover, Natural, by Peter Andre. Uh, Best album, A Different Beat, by Boyzone. I'm just going to not read all of these because there's fucking loads of the bastards. Best film, Independence Day. Absolutely agree with that one. (laughs) Best person on TV was Paul Nichols. I had to look up who that was. Apparently he was on EastEnders. He's in EastEnders, yeah. 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 Then the best bit was always the worst prizes. I'd forgotten that they did worst. <laughs> yeah, so the, the worst group was Upside Down, who I vaguely remember that they were a boy band, but I don't boy remember band anything band, they yeah. did. Worst male singer was Robbie Williams. Worst female singer is Bjork, which fuck off. What the fuck? <laughs> She's a bit weird, isn't she? So I think for very young pop fans who aren't quite into experimental strangeness, 
the, you know, th this was the year that she released Post. So it was like mm -hmm. Army of Me and uh, Hyper Ballad and stuff like that. It's not that accessible, mm -hmm. you know. If, I suppose, if, but they've still got Oasis in there. Yeah, they, they could easily. Don't worry, Liam's, Liam's in there as least fanciable are you, person. Are you trying to claim that Oasis are as experimental as Bjork? No, I'm saying <laughs> no, that terrible. if you're going to say Robbie Williams is a bad singer, but give Liam Gallagher an award for not well, pronouncing I, any words correctly. I'm convinced they just did that because Robbie Williams wasn't going to turn up to the show or something, you know. Or, I mean, was it... Was it fan voted? What? Yeah, it was. They yeah, they, yeah, these were all because uh, I, I remember filling in and never sending them off in my uh, my mm -hmm. sister's copy. I used to read Smash Hits when my sister bought it, and I think I took it in more than she did. There's uh, a lot of random pop knowledge from the early '90s where I wasn't even listening to the stuff that I've, you know, just as osmosis into my brain. Worst person on TV, Chris Evans. Most tragic haircut was Mark Owen. So they'd obviously got fed up with take that mm. least fanciable person Liam Gallagher so there you go he did get a kicking in there at some point worst dressed person was Mark Owen again and loser of 96 was Robbie Williams so uh, yeah I take that's just split up by this point it no. was 1996 oh, he, he left though didn't he, so he maybe yeah he, Robbie it. he'd left yeah. around about that time I, they hadn't quite split up yet I think oh, it I've, was I've got a bit of information on that later on so maybe sharing with you excellent not loads but just like that. <laughs> uh but yeah that that's all of the information i've got that would have been in the magazine because uh, capitalism so uh should we get on with listening to the tape yeah yeah cool right here's the first track everybody grew to the music everybody This is Backstreet Boys and we've got it going on. No wins at this particular year's poll winners party, but the following year they won Best International Band, Best Album, Best Video and Best Album Cover. What, uh, were it, the, what was the album from the year after? It would be their debut, I think, just Backstreet Boys. Oh. Yeah, the album, it'll be the album that had this on it because I, I think this was their debut single. It was the first one that made a splash in the UK anyway. It was, yeah. It had a really low-key release first of all, then they released a couple of other singles that did pretty much nothing. Then this got a re-release and that's where it was a hit. And that was their, their first hit on the, the reissue. It got to number three in the August just before this. But yeah, because they're not actually winning any of the awards. There's quite a lot on this tape that didn't win any awards. So I'm assuming they're either nominated or performed at yeah, the, the yeah. show. This was written and produced by Max Martin and this was his first major hit. He went on to become one of the most successful songwriters of all time. There's only Lennon and McCartney who have had more songs at number one on the Billboard charts than Max Martin. So the, the other songs that he's responsible for, Britney Spears, Hit Me Baby One More Time, Bon Jovi, It's My Life, Five, Slam Dunk to Funk, NSYNC, It's Gonna Be May, Kelly Clarkson, <laughs> Since You've Been Gone, all of the big pop singles on Taylor Swift's Red, 1989 and Reputation, plus most of Katy Perry's best singles, Lowe's with Kesha, Ariana Grande, Adele, The Weeknd and Lady Gaga. So, and Coldplay and Christina Aguilera. Yes, 
and Dr. Alban and Robin and Five and 3T and Ace of Base. Yeah, so basically anyone who was big in the music industry has at some point worked with Max Martin. Dude knows how to write a pop-up, doesn't he? (laughs) And or Dennis Pop, who produced it with him, who sadly died in 1999, age 35. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I read that with the PDF. I was going to give you all those facts, and you're, like, jumping in with me. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. That's what Colin does. Colin is fact man. (laughs) You just... Cock blocks me on the facts, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, as I was saying, this was the I yeah, this is the first song that made a splash in the UK. It's quite blatantly influenced by MN8. I got a little something for you. Yeah, yeah. And the Backstreet Boys. Um, I remember reading. I don't know if it was this year, but yeah, I think it was this year. They DJed at the Smash It's Pole in this party, and they played "I Got a Little Something for You" by right. by MN8, and it was like, oh yes. And so, the Backstreet Boys themselves were quite obviously modelled on New Kids on the Block. Yeah. And um, so the style of their music became known as like a blueprint for American slightly R&B influenced pop music. But although it was actually Swedish producers, wasn't it? Yeah. Martin and Desi- Dennis Park. It, it's, it's like a sort of white version of New Jack Swing, basically. The, the production yeah, side. It, yeah, exactly. It's like, make, point, make, make, it. make it popper and uh, slightly less threatening. <laughs> popper? Mm. Popper. And get them to sing about what they're going to do to all the girls that are probably underage and listening to them. And, you know, Unfortunately, yeah. It's, and it's got it's got a hilarious rap in there somewhere saying what they yeah yeah that was <laughs> God uh, knows what they were saying. It's in a that. particular standout moment for me that was. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, they were one of the first bands that had all that singing that artists like Britney took on with saying May and yeah that that southern influenced twang in their uh, in their singing yeah um, that kind of took off and became. You know, it was just all over the charts for the next yeah. five or six years, at least. What Was this one of the tracks that you were particularly into at the time? I don't remember loving the track. I wasn't into, like, boy bands or anything at the time. Yeah. Um, but listening back to it, it's a solid pop song. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's not a bad song at all. Yeah, I kind of, it was just there around yeah. in the charts, and I kind of just vaguely enjoyed it and thought it was okay. Yeah. Really. I, I, I generally thought it was all right, didn't hate it. It wasn't the kind of thing I was listening to at the time. But just listening to it in the last week or so where I've been, you know, concentrating a lot more, it's got a sort of weird minor key scar type thing going on with it, which uh, mm. I quite liked. <laughs> mm. Should we go for the next one? Yeah. Yeah. This is dodgy. It is dodgy. <laughs> In a room. Before Ian starts getting angry, I fucking love dodgy. They were amazing. First time I ever played guitar in front of an audience was covering Staying Out for the Summer at a family friend's wedding in about 1995. Free Piece Sweet was the follow-up to the record that Staying Out for the Summer was on. Bit of a patchy record. It had got most of their biggest singles on there, good enough on there. But... Ugh. I hated good enough <laughs> at the time. I really like this track. Uh, I think this is one of their best singles. Matt Priest's drums on this are great. He's, he 
full-on channeling Keith Moon all the way through this one. That fucking acoustic guitar at the start, though, is like, oh, I'd like to make this what was probably a very expensive acoustic guitar sound like a Woolworths. What you need to realise and remember is this is a very old cassette tape that yeah. we're listening to it but on. I've heard I've heard this song <laughs> like a bajillion times yeah on Kerrang Radio and in places where I you know just everywhere and I've always thought that sounded wank so. fair enough fair enough so it doesn't can't blame like, the tape distortion on this no if anything I'd expect the tape to make it sound just maybe a little bit warmer and nicer but, <laughs> but no it just awful <laughs> I don't oh. like it I was in the room when the three members of Dodgy were in the same room together for the first time since they'd split up. The guitarist Andy Miller was in a band called Mass, who had an utterly brilliant single called Hey Gravity. I went to see him at the Jug of Ale in Birmingham and the other guys had gone to see him play. And after the gig, I was sort of standing behind them while they were like chatting for the first time. And I was standing there going, reform. And then they did, not long after. So uh, I'm going to take credit for that. Even though Ian thinks that's not some <laughs> responsibility to take for. is what you should be saying. There. <laughs> Blame. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this one, Peter? I really like this song. I looked it up, and this song, like you say, stay, the 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 run of singles was "Stay Out for the Summer" in a room, and then "Good Enough." Yeah. Now, "Good Enough" was obviously their biggest hit, and it's it, "Good Enough." Isn't. I won't go. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it sort of feels a bit like a novelty song, doesn't it? I know it sounds bad, but it kind of does. It, it, it was, it was that happy sunshine indie music of the time that was everywhere. It was sort of in in the wake of All Right by Supergrass, and they're like, oh, let's stick a load of keyboards yeah. all over it and uh, have sort of jolly piano bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's, yeah, and let's have. Uh, it's probably a, vid- a video of them in an open-top car going around <laughs> shoving sunflowers in people's faces or something. I don't know, which I'd, which I'd hate because of my hay fever, but, you know, <laughs> there we go. They had a couple of lineup changes before this era. One of their band members, called Ben Lurie, guitarist, joined the band for a week and then jumped ship to join the Jesus and Mary chain. Right. That must have been a very decision. Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> He saw what was coming. If I'd accidentally uh, ended up in Dodgy, that's what I'd have done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they they weren't even called Dodgy yet. They were called Purple. But then when Andy Miller, the guitarist, joined, they changed their name to Dodgy. They found their manager by chatting to music manager Andrew Winters and surreptitiously put a demo tape into his jacket pocket without him knowing about (laughs) it. Reverse pickpocketing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it's It's like... If I'm walking down Market Street here in Manchester and there's some random guy trying to sell you his demo tape, <laughs> um, except he gives you it for free and kind of gives a deal, bro. But, you know. Um, the first album was produced by Ian Brody of The Lightning Seeds. Yes. And they got yeah. and they were signed to a six-album record deal, which I think only three of the albums was... um, were actually on that record label. Yeah. And this is, this is from their third album. Yeah. Um, so you don't really get that these days where... Bands get signed to six album deals and don't really make much of a splash for the first two albums and then still have a record deal. No, they'd be dropped after but, the first these days. But the, yeah. I, I don't think the label would put up money for a six album deal these days. Um, yeah, I think there's no such thing. There's like a three album options. Yeah. That. yeah. Um, these days, they just don't, not that I'm lamenting the music industry, but they don't invest in um, developing artists as much as they used to no. because they expect you to be a fully formed act, act by the time 
they sign you and they expect you to be getting hits from the office yeah. and putting enough money into it. Which which is silly because how many bands do we know that where the debut was crap but then later on they they got great? You know, there's loads. Yep. Um, the earliest example I can think of is Diana Ross and the Supremes had the nickname the No Hits Supremes for such a long time. And then they were until, massive. <laughs> yeah, and, until until Where Did Our Love Go, which was a cast off from the Marvelettes. Yeah. And you know they didn't they hated the song they didn't want to do it and it became and it launched them. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, it, it, yeah it just it does does show that they saw potential in this band for some reason. And no, they, you know what? I, I love in a room. I think that's. I think it's a brilliant song. I think it's. Um, no, I just. I don't know what else to say about it other than right. I really like it. Out, out of the three singles that I knew well, that's my favourite of them, really. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I, I knew a few more, but this is still my favourite of their their singles. Right, let's go for the next track. Mm-hmm. This is 3T and 24-7. Michael Jackson's nephews with the most forgettable track on the tape. <laughs> as soon as I've heard this, I can't remember it again. Really, really generic R&B slow jam. The vocals sound very much like their uncle on one of his more boring tracks. Yeah. In 1996, though, they ranked only behind the Spice Girls as the biggest band in Europe, which is completely insane because they have not stayed in the public consciousness at all. Are they called 3T because they all, they all have They're the three T sons names. of Tito Jackson. Oh, is that it? And that, 3T. That, so that all, all of their like names... Tom, Testicle yeah. and Travis. <laughs> yeah, the, all of their names begin with T. Yeah. Ah, as well. So yeah. That's okay then. Yes. But yeah, when was the last time you heard anyone mention them or one of their songs? Ten seconds uh, ago. Other than them, uh, <laughs> they, they just completely go out of everyone's brain, I think. Yeah, uh, I think there's been a lot of next big things that have also been the next thing right out of the door and out of people's collective unconsciousness. Yeah. Like, what's What was this song called again? 24-7. 24-7. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's not even the best song called 24-7, is it? Let's be real here. <laughs> it's not even the most memorable song. When I hear 24-7, I, hear, I think of that Artful Dodger song that had Melanie yeah. Black from the... Um, that had uh, yeah, Melanie Black from All Saints I, on it. I, yeah, this... Uh, I do know you've reminded uh, me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, well, it's a better song anyway. Yeah. Um, and the thing is that, yeah, so while Backstreet Boys were obviously influenced by New Kids on the Block, I think 3T were trying to be the new boys to men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Much and like you've said, like Michael, like 90s Michael Jackson, or like like trying to do a bit of a human nature by Michael Jackson, trying to get yeah. in their slow, let's make sweet love in song. <laughs> and on, I remember their song Anything, I Would Do Anything for You. Okay, uh, it went, but I didn't. I, this song had completely 
gone from my memory completely. Yeah. And and I had to look up, look them up to remember that that, that they had the song anything, the, the song called anything. To be honest with you, and like you say, it's it's forgettable. It's just R and B goo. Yeah. Coming out your speakers and you just think, well, on earth is this going to end? <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan. I'm really not going to fan. It, it's it's yeah. <laughs> not a fan of this at all. <laughs> I've got that, like, keyboard stab in my head, the bit that sounded like a car alarm. <laughs> so kind of excited to move on to the next track so I can hear something that's not that. <laughs> Are you really? Right, let's go for the next song. Boyzone and Coming Home Now. First actual award winners on the tape. Boyzone won Best International Group, uh, Best Single for Words, Best Album, and Ronan Keating won Best Dressed Person, Best Haircut, and Most Fanciable Person. I hated Boyzone so much. They're a really good example of why, at the time, I thought I hated pop music, which I didn't. There's so much good pop music, but at the time... This is what my impression of it was. And this is what made me go, no, fuck off. I'm going to listen to Corn and Cold Chamber and Green Day and, and Fear Factory and stuff like that instead. Even coming from an objective point of view, they take that without any of the interesting bits. Yeah. Uh, which, which was Louis Walsh's intention when he formed the band. Not necessarily not having the interesting bits, but it was to form an Irish version of, of Take That. You know. Ronan Keating was the Gary Barlow, although as far as I know, he pays his taxes, so hopefully that's... So, you know, bonus points. (laughs) You know, so he's the songwriter. Then you've got Stephen Gately was the Mark Owen, so he was the uh, the cute one uh, that all the girls at my school fancied. Turned out to be gay. Yes, yeah. They failed to find a Robbie Williams, so they ended up with three Howard Donald slash Jason Oranges. (laughs) More or less, have you ever seen the footage of their first ever TV appearance? The Late Late Show, before they'd recorded any songs. Oh my God, where they're just, is this the one where they're just dancing along to that song? It's hil- they're not even singing. Yeah. It was it was tragic, wasn't it? It's, it was so bad. Yeah, they're, they're basically, they were, um, it was late 1993, so they'd only just formed, not got any songs yet, and they got invited to be on the biggest Irish talk show mm. and basically just danced to a, uh, a dance track called Light My Fire by Clubhouse really really badly oh. and with obviously no rehearsal so they just got completely and one slated. of them was forming his hands were forming a frame for his crotch and he was thrusting <laughs> through it yes. that was you, you know what you don't forget something like that easily <laughs> so yes i do i do actually remember that wow. it's, it is worth looking at on youtube because it's hilariously bad <laughs> I think I think Ronan was on um, Graham Norton or something, and he forced Ronan to sit through watching that again. I think that's where I saw, saw that it happened. Good, he deserves it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, own up to it. This is 
what you get. <laughs> yeah. What are, your, what are your thoughts on anyway on this one? <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of in the same vein as the three T one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, Boyzone. I'm 1996. I think Take That had just split up, so which left Boy ba- Boyzone to be the biggest boy band in the UK. Right. Um, even though they were from Ireland, obviously. Yeah. So I looked this up. It's the, it was the sixth single from the first album. So they're rinsing out their album already. Mm. Really, let's be real here. They'd run out of single material, and they'd just yeah. Thought, let's just keep going. It was the first, the only single written entirely by the group without any co-writers. Yeah. And it shows because, because even like, I mean, I'm I'm not a, I'm not really a fan of Boyzone, but they had a couple of good songs. I quite liked So Good and Picture of You, but this is just it's it's that goo again it's just it's just there coming through your speakers and it's the spoken word the the heartfelt spoken word intro yeah ronan's singing and the bridge in particular when he's just that bit out of tune and he he drifts out of tune at the end of each at the end of each line and it's just a picture girl you're like for god's sake god I know, I know. Maybe you decided not to use autogym, but sometimes just just bite the bullet and use it, <laughs> or just you know um, get better. You, you'll well, get good. To, yeah, exactly. to be fair to the guy, he did. He's, he's a, a fairly good singer later on. I just no, don't want to listen really to any of the music. Bleaty. I mean, I'm, <laughs> there are a lot of things that I'm angry at Ronan Keating for, and this song is none of them. <laughs> like my biggest bugbear is that fucking song where there's a lyric. Where he says, "Hey, baby, you almost got me punched in a fight, but that's all right." It fucking isn't. Oh, really? Like, if is that life is a roller coaster? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. He says, "Hey, baby," in there. Like, <laughs> if anyone ever almost gets me punched in a fight, I'm gonna be fucking just peeved. Like, really yeah. angry with them. Like, don't get me punched. I don't like it. Yeah. E- even more so if you were a member of Boyzone, because I don't think that they would cope very well. I don't but, know, like Shane no. from Boyzone's a fucking big dude. Actually, man. yeah, fair, fair like, play. He's a, a, I, a I would not yeah. fuck with him. Like, he looks <laughs> like he can handle himself. And he was married to a member of one of the other bands who are going to be on this. Oh. We'll reveal that. Yes, Shane Lynch from Boyzone, yes. Stephen Gately takes over for the chorus, and it's marginally better. Um, he's, at least he's in tune. I'm not a fan of the spoken word breakdown, the spoken word... Yeah. Anything in a song like this. It's I, just... Yeah, it's one of my things I absolutely... It always reminds me of fucking Johnny Mathis, When a Child is Born, which I also hate. Wow. <laughs> they're, they're just there going days, minutes, weeks or whatever. I don't yeah. know. It's just, shut up. whole song is just over-earnest boy band fodder, and I just don't have time for it, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's let's move on to the next one, then. Just crash swiftly on, sorry. <laughs> This is Eternal and Good Thing uh, Radio Mix. Musically, this is pretty good. I really yeah. dig the sort of almost acid jazz intro with the like, weird little Fender Rhodes melody. They were essentially the British answer to American R&B acts like On Vogue and uh, SWV. Yeah, and, and it, they, it kind of is there. It's just a bit safer, really. It, it? it is. They, they were really, really successful at it. They, they did a brilliant job. They're still enough in the public consciousness that I've been recently watching old episodes of Top of the Pops on the iPlayer with my daughter um, just to show her what stuff was like in the 90s <laughs> and as well as just the other episodes they have specials with various different bands 
so they've got like Blur and Oasis and, and All Saints but there's, there's an eternal one which shows they're still big enough in the public consciousness to, to warrant that I mean like Louise Redknapp doesn't hurt their profile does she no thing. but she, she'd already left by this point she was only in the band for the first mm. album the one album the Always and Forever yeah, yeah. so she was on Just a Step for Heaven she was on um, oh what's that other bit Stay yeah and um, the song Always and Forever so that was the three singles they had whilst she was in the band but then she left and they had I think two two or three albums yes with just three members well, oh they were the ones responsible for that song with so many key changes in it I want to be the That's only one. That's the one. Yes, yeah. With BB Winans. That was their first number one hit ever. I, I hate that song so much because of all those fucking key changes. I'd forgotten and it was them till the other day. <laughs> when they got all gospel and Whitney's it up a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like, oh, what should we do? The chorus again, but up a bit. <laughs> and again. Yeah. yeah, and again, and again. Please stop it. Like, Eventually they and then get... Beyonce did the same thing for Love on Top and it worked for her as well. So, you know, why mess with a winning formula when you can just keep going higher and higher if you've got the pipes for well, it? Eventually they there get back go. to the same key, so it's fine then. <laughs> Circle of fish. Yeah. No, I wish, it, I wish it would stop. No, I, I, I've got that song in my head now and I'm furious <laughs> about it. I'd like forgotten it existed. Then we talked about key changes on an episode the other day and I was yeah. like, oh, that fucking song. Because every, every time I think about key changes, I'm like... That one. It had too many. Too many. Yes. <laughs> the session guitarist on this one, Kevin Armstrong, who played with David Bowie on Absolute Beginners mm. and uh, Iggy Pop on the Blah 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 record. So that he's the guitarist on Real Wild Child. And on this. Yeah, and on this. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a paycheck here. Gotta make them dollar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not, not going to judge. So this was their third single from the album Power of a Woman. Yep. First, first album since Louise Nerding left. I believe she's back to nerding now, isn't she? But yeah. So the singles were Power of a Woman, I Am Blessed, which they performed for Pope John Paul II <laughs> at the time. The song... Is, isn't I that, don't know why you find this funny. I, I, I'm <laughs> just, just thinking, is, isn't that a bit egotistical, singing I Am Blessed to the Pope? Shouldn't he be like, I'll decide that? Yeah, you know, that's well, for me to decide. Be, but not. It's a song with new and with nuance to it. You always did it. Yeah, um, I think it was written for that, and they'd already been booked for to see Pope Job all the second. They were, they were kind of the um, the nice girls of British pop. They didn't drink, smoke, swear, or anything like that. And obviously, before the Spice Girls came along, they were the biggest girl band in the UK. And like yeah. you say, they were based. They were obviously. I heard "Hold On" by En Vogue as a very similar song to this. Yes, you know the beat. Yeah, um, and Vogue, who are one of my favourite girl groups ever. Um, so, yeah, the radio mix to this is kind of different to the album version. Yeah. It's not that, it's not hugely different, but they've just sort of jazzed it up a little bit. And, yeah, I, I love it. It's a really decent 90s R&B track. I think this is the best track that we're going to talk about today, to be honest with you. It's my favourite that, that I've that I've listened to on this cover disc, on this cover tape. It's, it's definitely um, higher quality than, than most we've had so far, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and well, yeah, and people usually classify Eternal as, as just a pop band, pure pop band, and I think part of that is because they were British rather than American. Yeah, could say that. And some of their songs were pretty poppy, but this is an example of they still had some decent R&B tracks, and like I said, just Step from Heaven and Stay still had that sort of nineties um, wingy R&B yeah. sort of thing to it, and it's Esther from. 
Eternal that was married to Shane Lynch of Boyzone ah. for five years. In and Shane Lynch went in, uh, said in an interview later that it was five years, five pretty unhappy five, <laughs> pretty unhappy five years. Um, yeah, and it, he sort of danced around why that was, but yeah, they, they, there's lots of misunderstandings. Oh well, but I do think at least Bernie, he's honest. Bernie's the lead. Yeah, I, I do think Vernie's voice sounds amazing on this. She was one of the, I think one of the best pop voices of the time. Was Ver- Vernie um, the other sister? Yeah. There's, there's Esther and the, yeah, there are two sisters, Vernie and Esther, and Vernie is the lead singer. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, like I say, it's just it's and like you say, it's an example of Eternal being formed and marketed as really the UK's answer to En Vogue and, and doing a bloody good job at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Right, mm. let's go for the next one. This is PJ and Duncan and Stepping Stone, the band famous for overcoming adversity by becoming pop stars after Duncan was blinded in a horrific paintball accident four <laughs> years earlier. Me eyes, man, I can't see. Uh, <laughs> be- I between- can prove positive of how likable the two of them are as well. Like they sort of, you know, yeah. <laughs> anything other than let's get rid of Rumble is dog shit. <laughs> And like well, they're basically in, indestructible, aren't they? They can do anything. Get shot in the eyes. Have. Are you trying to say that "Let's Get Ready to Rumble" is a good song? It's a fucking banger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Watch us wreck the mic. Watch us wreck the mic. Watch us wreck the mic. Side. <laughs> yeah, that's a great song. Like it's got some novelty in it. This is just a very bad cover version. I quite enjoy this. Yeah. It's shit, but I enjoy it. So between this song being released in March 1996 and their next single in August, they rebranded themselves as Anthony Deck. Yes, because they were aiming to do more TV presenting, which they've definitely hit that aim. They, they're never off the bloody telly, although I don't watch anything that they're on ever because I don't normally watch telly. It was them and Lily Savage that presented the Paul Winners Party, so that's why they're on here. This song uh, obviously was originally a hit for Paul Revere and the Raiders in the 60s, but the, the most famous version is The Monkees. It became a bit of a punk standard with Sex Pistols, The Trashman and Minor Threat all doing versions of it in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I don't know any of the other versions of this song, and I actually do remember this version from 1996. Yeah. I remember quite liking it at the time, because it's sort of, you know, it's bouncy, poppy yeah. fodder. Now, less so. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's just, I mean, when it starts off with that, is it a Hammond organ? Yeah, And yeah. it's uh, that, that sort of, it's like being at the circus, isn't it, when you hear that? <laughs> it's just like, what? It's like comically sort of, you just imagine them bouncing around and shoving their hand in the camera and stuff. <laughs> and and yeah, like like you say, it's a, it's, it's, it's a cover of a cover, really. It's a cover of the Monkeys song, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it got to number 11 in the charts. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was, and did you know, 
Anton Deck has three studio albums and 16 singles. Yeah. 14 of them went top 20. You, well, well, remember you, you, that. you do now, and so do our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you, so do your listeners. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they went top. They went into the top twenty fourteen times, if you include um, when "Let's Get Ready to Rumble" got re-released in twenty thirteen after Anton Deck performed it on their show, <laughs> and that's the only time they ever had a number one. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I remember the, the next album. Uh, my sister was still buying Smash Hits at that point, um, so the uh, so the next record was called "The Cult of Anton Deck." Which is a very, mm. very easily graffitied album uh, album title. <laughs> nah. but, uh, yes. Yeah, the, the there was a free ant or deck mask with uh, with smash hits, and you know you had to buy both of them if you wanted masks of both of them. Uh, this is like the two covers of Smash Hits Poland, by yeah. Boys Own and Spice Girls, isn't it, or both, or whatever yeah. it was, and so. Yeah, they're, they're really sort of getting you to pay you £1.25 twice, aren't they? Uh, at, least, at least the content inside the magazine was all the same. There's a, There was a, mm. an uncut uh, REM compilation that we did really early on where they released three different free CDs, so you had to buy the magazine three times if you wanted to get all three of them, which obviously really? REM fans would have wanted to because it was CDs that were compiled by the, the members of the band. So, yeah, that's definitely ripping people off. Yes, forcing people. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Cool. But there you go. Yeah, like I say, I'm not a fan of this song. It's just, <laughs> it's just terrible. Uh, I, I enjoy it more than some of the stuff, more than the fucking Boys Own track. And the th- more than the Boys Own and the 3T, that's a fair oh, point. Oh, yeah, there was, it's, at least it's, yeah. there was a 3T one. I'd forgotten about that already. <laughs> right, let's go for the, uh, the last song on this side. No, it isn't. It's the first song on side two. Yeah. This is Peter Andre and Flavor Ben's Mix, the third and final actual award winner on the tape. He got Best Male Singer and Best Album Cover. Really? For that tiny, thin voice? <laughs> yeah. I do get the impression some of the people voting for him may have voted on his lack of shirt. I think it was it. Teenage girls who voted it, for the album. It was his <laughs> chest. This is before yeah. the Chipolata rumours came out. <laughs> <laughs> Before Katie Price started saying stuff like <laughs> that. He'd have, yeah. he'd have lost some points at that point. <laughs> uh, it's definitely better than Mysterious Girl, which is one of the worst things ever to happen it's to people's, hard, e- though, is people's it? ears. <laughs> uh, this is co-written by Andy Whitmore, who also wrote Emanates, I've Got a Little Something For You, that we mentioned earlier, and Wayne Hector, who uh, at that point hadn't really written much of note, but later wrote for Westlife, Pussycat Dolls, Nicki Minaj, JLS... One Direction, Britney Spears, and Kylie Minogue. So one co-writer much more successful than the other. Mm. Mm. Is he the same as Hex Hector? Who did all those dance remixes? I or is that a different guy? Don't know. It could be. Okay. Uh, that did not come up in my research. So uh, possible. <laughs> I was really surprised at how many of the lyrics I knew to this song. <laughs> yeah, I'm mm. shocked. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's I was surprised that it was Peter Andre, to be honest, because I was like, yeah, it's all right. Well, particularly as he's saying the Max back, and it's like, that's Mark Morrison. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> Maybe this is about that, the Mac. Like, he's not saying he is the Mac. He's like, <laughs> he has returned. I never thought I'd 
I never thought I'd catch myself saying this, but I really enjoyed this Peter Andre track. <laughs> you know what? And and I think I think this remix that is on the tape is actually not the version that was sent to UK radio because I was there. So I was there listening to it, thinking it sounds familiar, but not 100% familiar. So I went and o- over to YouTube, and the other version, the original version, sounds um, a bit lo- a bit more like Montel Jordan. This is how we do it. It's a bit more. Right. It's got a bit of a different beat to it. This version, sonically, reminds me of Don L. Jones. You know what's up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah. Kind of got that sort of smooth R&B vibe going on. And I actually, yeah, I'm surprised how much I liked it, you know. It's, it, it's, it's not a bad mix. It's just, like Ian said, his voice is a bit thin, but there's worse stuff around. Yeah, and, you know, it's Peter Andre. He can only sing how he can sing. He's probably not <laughs> had vocal training. You know, if you want to swing, let me do my thing and everybody jam with me. It's a nice little refrain. And, you know, it's not after the terrible, mysterious girl, he comes out with this. So it's quite a change of direction on the same album. Yeah. So, yeah, I was surprised how much I liked it. And when I just I just saw Peter Andre Flavor on the track list and thought, I'm not going to like this. And then I liked it. So there you go. <laughs> surprised myself. Awesome. Right. Let's go for the next one. is Suede and Beautiful Ones. Probably one of Suede's best singles. This is one of the first where the music was written by their new 19-year-old guitarist, uh, Richard Oakes, at that point. I'm going to let Pete say what the original title was because <laughs> you mentioned it on uh, off mic earlier. The guitarist was told to write a top 10, hing- a top 10 single for the band and was threatened with a dead leg if he didn't do and therefore the song was originally called Dead Leg. Yes. Nice. <laughs> there you go. I got there. <laughs> dead legs, that's kind of an old school injury. It's very it 90s. Uh, dead leg. Very... It's up there with the Chinese burn, it isn't is. it? <laughs> yeah, coming up is a brilliant album. It's much poppier than the debut or Dogman Star. It's full of like massive glam anthems. So Richard Oates did a really good job. Obviously, Bernard Butler's an amazing guitarist, so he's got some big shoes to step into. But Bernard Butler left, and then Richard Oakes was a massive Suede fan and had basically learned their entire back catalogue, went along to the audition and was like, what do you want me to play? And could play, like, random B-sides and stuff like that and got the job. And I'm glad he did, because this album's fantastic. Uh, Really, really worth listening to if you've not heard it. Yeah, I had this album and rinsed the hell out of yeah. it back in the day so yeah, really I mean what can I say This the song's a classic isn't it and I would dare anyone of our generation to not know every single word to it <laughs> you know it's, it's yeah I'm, like I say I had the album it, the album had trash on it yeah um, obviously film star as well what, film star that's the oh that was my favourite song actually no. For the next 10 years or so, you couldn't go into an indie club here in Manchester or switch on the radio without hearing either this song or trash. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's one of those quite snarky songs about about having life in a provincial town where you just have these mad weekends. And it's another drug reference song after they had Animal Nitrate. Yeah. And, um, you know, being part of a trashy club scene and that's all you've got as your outlet. I mean, it came a couple of years later, but I can really identify with that, <laughs> to be honest. Even, you know, 
and it's got a really euphoric element to the song. I think you know it's it's uplifting. Yeah. Well, the, the, um, you the, know the title after it was called Dead Leg when Brett Anderson had written the lyrics for it. The chorus was Here They Come, Beautiful Scum, and then he thought he really? thought that was a little bit too on the nose, so mm. they they changed it. So yeah, the the, the snark is definitely intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's it's the it's a very bitchy song, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but but you know, lo- lots of happy memories from me. Um, like I say, it's so uplifting, especially especially the ad libs at the end. If your babies are going crazy, yeah, yeah. yeah it's just like pretty perfect indie pop song, I'd say. Definitely agreeing with that. Yeah. Right, let's go for the next one. All right then. So this is Louise and Naked Radio Mix. I got it wrong. That wasn't the last winner earlier on. She won Best Female Singer. This is more pure pop than the serious R&B type stuff she did with Eternal. Mm-hmm. My sister definitely had this album at the time. It's basically budget Kylie. It uses a similar sort of Eastern scale to Confide in Me because she's sort of trying to emulate Kylie's sort of I'm going to be more sexy than I was previously. Yeah, uh, and yet manages to sound like a 12-year-old girl, <laughs> which was deeply upsetting to listen to. <laughs> I don't oh, remember being that offended by that at the time. <laughs> no, well, at, at the time I was 14, and uh, I definitely had an interest in this song at the time, but then that's more to do it with it being an attractive lady singing about not wearing any clothes. Yeah, I... Yeah, did, did she not win Smash It's Sexiest Woman that year? Who uh, won it then? At the Smash It's Poor Winners Party. Let's have a look. Ah, they didn't have one. It was just most fancy... It was just sexiest it's, mate. No, it's that. just it's, uh, <laughs> most most fanciable person. So they're, they're keeping yeah. it gender, gender neutral, which is very, very forward good. thinking of them. Mm. It's before their time, yeah. yeah that's good. Uh, I think... Generally, the readers of Smash Hits would have had absolutely no chance of voting in anybody other than probably a white male. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, there we go. You know what? I actually love this song. Um, This was the third song off her album. The first two were Light of My Life and In Walks Love. And even though they were sort of medium hits, this was the one that launched her. This was the one that made people sit up and take notice of Louise Nerding, or just Louise as she was recording as as a solo artist i know you say it sounds like budget kylie but to me i hear if by janet jackson i hear that beat from that okay yeah anything off rhythm nation yeah and of course louise went on to copy janet jackson in a more blatant way later on when she did arms around the world which was obviously inspired by runaway by janet jackson if you listen to the two songs one after the other (laughs) they're in the same key they've got the same themes about wherever you are in the world i will still i'll still love you and it's the same instrumental almost, so God knows how they didn't get sued then. I don't know they might have. To me, this has a euphoric feel as well, just like just like the suede track, but in a completely different way, obviously. Yeah. I really like the synthesizer riff. I really like I like the spoken words breakdown. <laughs> I don't know why. I just really like I, it. I really um, like the drum fill at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
she'd left Eternal in 1995 on the same day that Robbie left Take That. Oh. So, yeah, so that's why her leaving Eternal wasn't a big news little story bit, at the time. because A little was, bit overshadowed, yeah. I imagine that. You're like, ah, oh, this is going to be the launch of my solo career. You fucking yeah. ufologist twat. <laughs> how how dare you? How dare you release a George Michael cover version and make it worse? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And the subject matter of the song is, like I say, what catapulted her to fame and made her a sex symbol as well, really. She was in FHM's Sexiest Female about three years in a row after yeah. this. So it, it made her career. There's no... There's no two ways about it. Yeah. And I just think it's a solid pop song. I think it's a great pop song. If you would play this in, let's be honest, a gay bar now, <laughs> um, people would still dance to it. And and also, this is a song that was made for choreography. Yeah. That was made... You can... Going back to the Janet Jackson comparisons, you could just... You could just imagine. I'm sure there was massive... Not too complicated, because it's Louise, but, you know. <laughs> some... <laughs> You know, actually, you know, quite um, eye-catching choreography for this, and it was yeah, it's 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 a dance song. It's a it's a song to be performed live. Yeah. It's a song to really sell her as an artist. Cool. Right, let's go for the penultimate song on the tape. Yes. <laughs> So this is Manic Street Preachers and Everything Must Go. This was the year that I discovered Manix. Everything Must Go is utterly fantastic record. It's still not my favourite of theirs. Third behind Holy Bible and then Generation Terrorists. But I still prefer it to Gold Against the Soul. Which this... is where we disagree. I really like Gold Against the Soul. Fair? Okay. This had been a top five single the previous August. Nicky Wire described this song as a, a message for the fans to say that the, the music had changed following Richie Edwards' disappearance, but the, the band is still the same, which doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> but many of the things Nicky yeah. Wire says don't make sense. Yeah. I was really surprised recently, although not massively surprised because it was in Wales. My nan lives in Tembe, and uh, we went to the, the Tembe Museum, and it's like a sort of little museum and art gallery, and there's a painting of Nicky Wire with loads of badges all over it. I was just walking around, seeing all like, you know, there's a bit of a Viking longship that was found, there's a cannon and stuff. Going to the next room, here's Nicky Wire. Wire. <laughs> <laughs> just really wasn't expecting it, but it was quite cool. Basically, a couple of years ago, he'd done a little mini art exhibition himself there. There was and, a picture uh, wasn't just drawn by himself, though. No, it wasn't. It, it was, here's that a was, picture of me. It, it, that was painted by a fan, and then he, I think he had customised it with adding badges that various different fans had sent in. Like James Dean Bradfield played an acoustic set at the opening of it and stuff. And it's this tiny little museum. So I'd, I'd love to go to that. If I'd have known that was happening, I'd have gone and yeah, stayed yeah. at my nan's. <laughs> so when I looked this up, I was surprised it was released after Design for Life. I assumed it was the other way around. Yeah, Design for Life was the, the first single off the, that yeah, album. Yeah. That yeah, and um, I'm like you, this was the first time the Manic Street Preachers has made an impact in my life because I think we're probably a bit well I was too young really yeah. before that for them to and they you know they, 
Design for Life was the big hit that launched them yeah. into the charts and onto the radio and all that sort of thing. Even though, like now, I know I only really know a few tracks like You Love Us and Most of the Friends yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. But I'm not really like into them in a big way now. But um, yeah, I really, really liking the track. Uplifting strings on there, which were probably done by synthesizer, but that's no, 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 full no, orchestra. That uh, seems like was a, it an actual orchestra? Well, yeah. the, the timpani rather than drums as well. I always loved that. Yeah. Mm. Well, they had a budget by that point then, didn't they? they Definitely. A huge one. So that's nice. Manix were, I want to say, more of a punk band before this album. More of a punk. Yeah, def- definitely punk, punk in than, attitude. Yeah. And although they kept their um, political stance and still had um, songs that had a message, this was obviously a bit to just be more famous and get more money, let's be real here. Yeah. Not this particular track, but the album in, gen- in general. And you know what? I, w- I would never say to an artist, don't sell out, because why on earth would you do what you do for a living and not want to be comfortable doing that? Yeah. You know, it, it, unless it goes completely against your values do what you think is going to work and is going to sell it as long as you're still enjoying doing it. That's what I, I say. I, I can dig that. I don't yeah. I, I don't think that they sold out. I think what it was was they didn't no. have the pull of uh, Richie who was... I mean, the, the previous album, The Holy Bible, they gave him complete control over the lyrics, which is... Uh, mm-hmm. And didn't edit any of it to, to fit better, which is why you've got the songs with, you know, 16 syllables in, in one line and stuff like that and then 12 syllables in the next one. It's it's a really uncompromising record. I I absolutely love it, but they were never going to get the the pop hits. It wasn't commercial. Um, You know, they they still had, you know, they they did Top of the Pops with Faster. uh, Was that the one that he wore a balaclava? Yes, they they were wearing balaclavas and army fatigues and got loads of complaints because people thought they looked like the IRA. Yeah. <laughs> oh jeez! Well, maybe that was the yeah, point. That probably was, was the point that, at that point. Uh, uh, that point, the, point, the, point, point. I said point a lot there. The W, the WRA, <laughs> <laughs> Welsh Republican Army. Um, but yeah, the, I think with the fact that Richie had disappeared, they still used some of his lyrics, um, but Nicky Wire wrote a lot more of it as well. And yeah. I think they were able to be a bit more sort of like malleable with them and gape them into more song-based things rather than uncompromising screams of anguish. Imagine (laughs) they were less concerned about Nicky Wire just running off and self-harming and stuff like that. Like, I think maybe they babied Richie a little bit. Unfortunately, I think they had to, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say you'd have to, wouldn't you? Yeah, that wasn't wasn't a criticism. That was more of a, you know. Whereas I feel Nicky's a little bit more resilient as a human, mayhaps. And as someone who writes music and has worked with singers, one of the biggest things that I come up against, or one of the biggest, not mistakes, challenges that I that I come across is people trying to crowbar too many words into a yeah. line. You know, just let your lyrics breathe because people will hear them and understand them more and you'll get your message across better is, is my way of thinking and that's why why it tends to happen in music yeah. in music for people don't just no one's going to listen to a Buster Rhymes song and know every word unless they're like a mad a big fan because he crowbars 
a million syllables into a song. And that's, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll give it a go, but I will mess it up badly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he had a song with Diplo and Tiesto, and it was like, how on earth is he? The man's like 60. How is he doing this? <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, love the, love the song. Um, from this album, Design for Life was my favorite, well, was one of my favorite songs yeah. of the era in general anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of this Brilliant. as well. I, I saw him do the whole album live uh, about six years ago at wow. Swansea Rugby Ground, Super Furry Animals and Public Service Broadcasting supporting. And it was brilliant. He was playing in this medium-sized stadium, not not as big as, as Wembley or anything like that. But it was really bizarre mm. to look around and then there was, you got all like, you know, the adverts for various beer or whatever and that kind of thing. But then there was this little advert up the top for Wiseman's Bridge Inn, which is a little pub down the road from my nan's house. Like, what? <laughs> amazing. That's, that's, that's amazing. So was it for the 20th anniversary of the yes. album then? Yeah, it would have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Let's go for the final song on the tape. This is E17 and House of Love Pedigree Mix. Not sure why this is on there because they didn't win any awards at this particular year. And this is from about four years earlier. I remember taping this off the radio on the charts when I was about 10. And I hadn't really thought about it much since then. But it is an absolute banger. I really enjoyed it. Can we address the disparity (laughs) in the messaging though? Yes. Like, I'm not bothered about religion. You are, cons- but every other fucker is in this. Like, one love, one God. Yeah. But <laughs> but don't worry about it. Is that what they say? I thought they say uh, I, I missed that bit. You you were listening harder than me. I'm very <laughs> familiar with this song, sadly. <laughs> it's it's ridiculously apocalyptic sounding if you listen to the the melodies that they've used in there. If you, like, replace the, like, synths and stuff with, like, a, a proper choir and an orchestra and stuff and you know change the lyrics into latin or something it'd sound like the omen soundtrack (laughs) i feel like if you just put keith flint on there it would be a prodigy track as well like it's a fucking banging yeah that could work track you know i i listened to this track i thought this sounds like the klf the shaman utah saints that sort of stuff yeah so i I can totally understand i'm with you on that they were definitely coming from the the rave scene sort of you know, particularly with how they dressed in the early days, yeah. the, the big baggy. Well, that was the whole point. They were like in the same way that the Spice Girls launched a thousand girl groups. Take that launched a thousand boy bands, and East Seventeen were one of them, weren't they? And but although, like you say, this was released back in 1992, so God knows why it was on yeah. on the uh, 1996 smash hits. But what can I say about East Seventeen? Four scally lads who somehow got a record <laughs> deal, who ne- named their band after the postcode where they lived, <laughs> and named their album Waltham Stowe. Um, I mean, it's, it starts off with a dog barking, which is probably a staffy owned by one of the members of the yeah. band. Um, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a lot more ravey it's, than I remember the song. It's absolutely sad that they're mostly it, known for that fucking terrible Not A Christmas song. Yes. I was going to say, you know, I was going to say this. Stay Another Day is 
100% not a Christmas song no. at all. I don't care if you put bells in the end of the song and wear coats. <laughs> you, none of your your song is nothing to do with Christmas at all. So why on earth is it on all those yes. compilations? But <laughs> if that if that's a Christmas song, then to become one by Spice Girls should be a Christmas <laughs> song. As should be Bob the Builder. <laughs> As should be, you know, Mr. Blobby. I don't know. Other, other songs that were Nine Inch Nails. Um, other songs other songs that were Christmas number ones also. I, I'm yep. guessing you meant Rage Against the Machine then. Oh, no, it was Rage Against the Machine. Oh, You're right. It was Killing in the I Name, wasn't it? Wish Sorry. Nine Inch Nails had had a yeah. Christmas number one. That is the world I want to live in. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. In fact, they'd have to edit it for radio, wouldn't they, as well? Uh, yeah. But I was never a fan of East 17 growing up. My sister was quite a big fan. Yeah. My, my stepsister was quite a big fan of East 17. She is she older them. or younger? Um, she's yeah. younger. Um, she's like four years younger than me. No, sorry, two years younger than me. That's my sister. <laughs> uh, she's two years younger than me. Yeah, she really liked East 17 at the time. She was, she was like, they were her favourite yeah. band. Yeah, they, they, were just, they were just take that on acid, <laughs> weren't they, really? <laughs> It's, it's very nice and energetic and, you know. It, it worked in a weird way. I, yeah, I really worked. like it. I, always... if, if boy bands had sounded like this, I'd probably have been more into it. Yeah. <laughs> mm. In general. But he... When also, East 17, the producers of East 17 also produced a band called Juice. I, don't I, d- I do remember them. Juice, yes. They had Call It Love, they had On The Bible and... Uh, there was another song, and that other song that I can't remember was supposed to be a Eurovision entry, but lost out to Love City Groove. But anyway, going back to my point, the same producers produced Juice, who I really liked at the time, so I can only thank those producers for it. I see. I remember having... Juice as being sort of like a proto-Steps, but that... They were a girl and boy yeah. band, yes. I, I, <laughs> I think, in my memory, one of them looked a bit like Faye from Steps as well, but I might be completely wrong on that. I might be just thinking. They had a blonde one and a dark yeah. head. They had a blonde girl and a dark haired girl, and a blonde boy and a dark haired. There boy. you go. That's all you need. They, they, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't have a Lisa Scott Lee, but you know, <laughs> some might say you don't need one. Um, so, <laughs> the dark haired girl from Juice ended up marrying Ant from Anthony. Ah. There so you go. Yeah. Fact about a band that's not on this, but yeah. Um, so I can confirm that actually, neither of them can... looked like Faye from Steps. Okay. Fair enough. The blonde girl was blonde, and that's it. The, that's the it, blonde really. girl was indeed <laughs> blonde. Yes, that's that's the, the only similarity that she had with Faith, with Faith from Steps, and the similarity that she had with Claire from Steps was that she was the one member of the band that could sing really well and carried the band. Oh, yes. So yeah, there was that. Like I say, going back to E17, was surprised how ravey the song was, and actually kind of liked yeah. it, and liked the kind of. I love that they just chucked police sirens in there and they were like, you know, I could imagine them on a council estate running around like, you know, not it's, that's not a bad thing at all, you know, but it's like, it, I could just imagine it's so fun because I bet that's that's kind of where some, that's their history. I was going to say, kind of thing, it's possible they yeah. just had the window open while they were recording. Yeah. <laughs> you, ne- yeah you never know exactly. Um, you know, it's like they did listen to Take That and were like, nah, but like, let's just try and make it a bit rougher. And then was it so, some of some of Take That's early stuff was a bit harder edged? Do yeah, what you do, like. do what you like was definitely way more aimed at a, a adult gay audience, wasn't it? With the, the video. Oh yeah, yeah, they like were PVC wearing like, and stuff, yeah, gear or something, yeah, and thrusting and being covered in jelly and stuff like that. Not that I've seen the video. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. sound like it. No. Um, <laughs> 
But yeah, we, we, it's not often we get to talk about E17, so uh, obviously we've got to talk about the baked potato thing. <laughs> what baked Are potato you, thing? Ah, what? Right, okay, so... Hang on, is this was when is this when Brian Harvey fell out of his own it car is, and ran himself it is. over? Yeah, so Brian Harvey once consumed three large baked potatoes just before going okay. out in his car. While reversing his car, felt really sick, so opened the door to be sick out of the door while he was still reversing, fell out of the car and ran himself over. And in what? the process, left him in a coma for several weeks uh, with his pelvis fractured in seven places got broken ribs and punctured lungs so uh, baked potatoes don't do them kids I love that the original (laughs) spin on that one was well yeah I mean Brian's car he's got really nice wheels and he was reversing (laughs) and he didn't want to damage the wheels and I always thought oh this must be drugs that's why they've spun this but no it's because falling out of your car because you feel sick after snarfing a load of baked potatoes kind of fucking embarrassing (laughs) It's, it's better oh, to imply no, that you've got a that, drug problem. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's it's not a very rock and roll way it's to go, not. is it? Uh, well, it, that yeah. that would be up there Bloody with hell. the Mama Cass rumours about a ham sandwich, which weren't true. Uh, if if he had have oh, actually really? died from, you know, which he could well have done. Yeah, because he was in a coma for a while. I mean, this is certainly the best boy band song that we've listened to today, without yes, a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, yeah. That brings us to the end of the tape, then. So. Peter, thank you very much for joining us. Um, yeah, thanks. This has been fun. It has. Do you want to tell people about both the podcast and the music, if you want? Yeah, so I am one-ninth of the pop gays of a certain age. We're literally called pop gays of a certain age, if you just look us up on all good podcast providers and some of the really bad ones, too. <laughs> we'll put a link in the show notes, anyway. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, yeah, I produce music under the name Polaric, P-O-L-L-A-R-I-K, on all streaming services, just... Yeah, or feel free to buy them off iTunes if people still do that. I don't know. <laughs> That's it, really. And uh, yeah, and I produce for other artists as well, but there's like a playlist on there of stuff that I produce for other artists. Brilliant. Well. well, thanks very much for well, joining us. We've been free with this month's issue. We'll be back next month. Bye. Bye. Another endearingly shambolic podcast from WeDigPodcasts.com. Elsewhere on We Made This. We dig music. This is evidence enough that I was kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Particularly because your initial choice was from 1986. <laughs> <laughs> it was on a 1978 playlist. People yeah. that do year-based playlists need to calm the fuck down and check their facts. <laughs> I mean, granted, I am a person that's done a year-based playlist and I need to calm down <laughs> and check my fucking facts, which is fine, right? Yeah, that's fair. But, like... Or you can just do what I do and like just say, no, it's a compilation album that was released in that year and I'm definitely going to do it. I no, I can't no. do that because he... Yes, no. Chris Rear has a time machine. He released a compilation of his mid-80s tracks But you know, earlier. the weird thing is, so yeah, we, we switched this one out quite late on in our preparation for the Last podcast, night. And, mm. and, and it made fuck all difference to any of our notes. Dream Given Form, a Babylon 5 podcast. On a science fiction heavy TV series, I'm not sure how much you can push the boundaries that way. So I think it has to be in terms of storytelling, yeah. character, and progressiveness, I think. And kind of looking back at Sensei, I think that's a good way of going forward. So what are your thoughts? 
kind of around the idea of the CW network being a network to pick up above the five reboots. I, I don't know whether it's the right one or not, in all honesty. Mm. And with the recent kind of announcement that CW is being sold, yeah, uh, which is why um, the pilot script's not been picked up. Frame to frame. The overarching narrative of Nolan's trilogy is so good. Nolan dedicated an entire movie to us understanding Bruce Wayne and why Bruce Wayne wanted to become the embodiment of fear. That's what that groundwork is what then allows the Dark Knight to become the incredibly tortured, bleak, like almost nihilistic beast that it is, in, in which there's no such thing as a hero. There are no heroes. No, exactly. But as, as a question to you, are you are you suggesting then if a film hypothetically was to exist without giving us the Batman Begin portion, but to exist in, I don't know, the second or third year of the Batman story that is dark, bleak and nihilistic... If it was not to have The Batman Begins, do you think it wouldn't quite work as well as The Dark Knight? Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network.